Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and it is hot in the summertime in Columbus, Georgia. Don't have to tell you that. I know y'all are out traveling, but no matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, whatever you have going on, God is welcoming you home. So we invite you to come and join us as we celebrate our awesome God of love and of grace and joy. Come on in. Our first reading today comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 67. Please listen for the word of the Lord. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us, Salah, that your way may be known upon earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth, Salah. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, has blessed us. May God continue to bless us. Let all the ends of the earth revere him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second lesson is taken from the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke 15. This is the lost chapter, the lost and found chapter. It comprises three stories, all that we know fairly well. Vicki hit on two. It is the lost sheep. It is the lost coin. And the third is the prodigal son, which we will separate and do I think it's in Lent that we'll get back to that one. So this is a great chapter of Luke to know these three parables and stories of Jesus. I invite you to listen again with fresh ears, Luke 15, 1 through 10. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having ten silver coins loses one of them does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. 
Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. September 11, 2001, 8.46 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11, en route from Boston to Los Angeles, strikes the North Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. 9.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 175, similarly en route from Boston to Los Angeles, strikes the South Tower of the World Trade Center in New York City. 9.37 a.m., American Airlines Flight 77 leaves Dulles, Virginia, on the way to Los Angeles, strikes the western side of the Pentagon building in and around Washington, D.C. 10.03, I'm sorry, 9.59 a.m., the South Tower falls. And when it, it begins its fall, it takes 10 seconds for that whole structure to crumble and be leveled. 10.03 a.m., United Airlines Flight 93, on its way from Newark, New Jersey, to San Francisco, crash lands in a field near Shanksville, Pennsylvania. We know that the passengers on that flight had already been, been made aware of through their devices, the internet, that the first three planes were hijacked and used to attack and that they had been hijacked and they were next. So they rose up, they overcame their hijackers, they gained access to the cockpit and they intentionally crashed the plane. I can't imagine the horror and the terror. 10.28 a.m., the North Tower falls. From first attack to the North Tower falling, it was 102 minutes. That day, 2,997 people died. Of that, roughly 415 were first responders. Of that 415, 343 were New York City firefighters. There were 19 hijackers that went down with those four flights. And by the end of the day, 102 countries had lost citizens in the attack. 102 countries had lost citizens in the attack. This is the 21st observance of those terrorists' attack on 9-11-01. In some ways, it seems like such a long time since those original events took place and in some ways, not very long at all. I remember the effect it had on our country as individuals. I was in Morganton, North Carolina at First Presbyterian Church in my first call. I had a meeting with another pastor right around nine. And so we had heard that something, a plane went into a building and of course, we're not thinking it was a terrorist attack, thinking some small plane, a Cessna, somebody's private crop duster got out of control or something, but 
after I got out of that meeting, everything had changed. I remember our country in the way that we collectively felt. We had been harmed greatly, unexpectedly. We are the United States. You don't get us on our soil. Not since Pearl Harbor, the the attack at Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, had we been attacked in such a way on our own soil. And this within the continental United States. There was a collective feeling of being stunned. And yet, there wasn't a passiveness. We saw how the love in our hearts rose up in those first responders, in those who helped in all the ways that they did. And then as those needs rippled out, we all did what we could to help those who had been wounded or died in this whole process. Thousands were wounded that day, and we still have thousands that are living with the repercussions of that day, mentally, physically, and spiritually. We, for that moment, before we got back into our jerseys and teams and got back on opposite sides of the aisle, there was, for a time, we were a family. We were a country. And it was more important that we figure out how to help those who had been hurt than it was for us to have to be right on our side of the aisle. It didn't take long, but there was a moment. I remember how lost I felt and how lost we felt as a nation. How could this happen? Why did this happen? Churches overflowed the next few weeks. People coming to grieve. People coming to ask those questions. Was God displeased so God allowed this to happen? That is not the way God works. But the coming together of a nation as a family and for us, the believers that filled our churches was significant. We sought the presence of Christ in that moment of loss and terror, death and harm. We were both lost and found at the same time. The terrorists did not count on our resilience. They did not count on our courage. They did not count on the way that every life matters. But I still remember feeling lost. What's next? What do we do? What do our leaders do? What does the world do? And in some ways, we took immediate action. In some ways, those questions continue. Today is all about being lost and being found. As I mentioned in Luke's gospel, these are three stories we know fairly well. Chapter 15, you know all of chapter 15 in Luke. The three lost and found stories. Sheep, coin, 
prodigal son. Today, we're dealing with the first two. A few chapters back in Luke, in chapter 9, Luke tells us that Jesus, way up in Caesarea Philippi, that's in the north, sets his face toward Jerusalem. So the journey south begins toward Jerusalem as he is heading to what we call Holy Week or Passion Week, his crucifixion and resurrection and all that surrounds it. And on his way, as our passage begins, first it tells us the tax collectors and sinners gathered close to listen to him. That one sentence tells you everything you need to know about God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. The tax collectors and the sinners were not always welcome to worship. The tax collectors and sinners, especially the tax collectors, were seen as unclean and didn't want and weren't allowed to be a part of the ritualistic life of the Jewish community, temple worship at that time. They were outcasts, absolute outcasts. What would bring them together to come from their margins of that society? Jesus, this preacher, this rabbi, and they have no idea what's going to happen later as we do. Right now, he's just saying and doing amazing things. He is meeting with sinners and outcasts and tax collectors. He is eating, and that's the next step. But first, they felt welcome enough to come into his presence, even with the elites who would call them out, with the elites who would judge them and point to them and say, you are not worthy to be here. They gather to be and listen to Christ. Second, he doesn't just encourage this kind of behavior. He eats with them. Oh boy. That was far greater a commitment. Meals are so much, especially in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus does so much teaching and healing all at, around the table. And this is no different. Now we've gone from, well, these people need to be saved to an intimacy of hospitality in Jesus' presence at the same table with all of these Scribes and Pharisees, the interpreters of the law, those who were the day of the enforcers of Jewish law. And they grumbled. Oh, this guy meets with, welcomes them and eats with sinners and tax collectors. And so in response to their grumbling, he tells them the two parables, three parables, two we're going to deal with this morning. So we've heard this one before. You've got a hundred sheep, one goes awry, goes astray. Jesus leaves the 99, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one. Now remember, these weren't events that happened. These are teaching tools, parables that Jesus uses because he's a good teacher and uses good illustrations. So one lamb goes. Like Vicky said, counting them up. Wait, what? Oh, 99, what? Where's the other one? Got to have the other one. 
Now, there is some financial component to this. What, how does a shepherd earn money? Taking care of the sheep. All the sheep have to get from point A to point B, or that shepherd, his economic uh, revenue streams would be compromised. But we also know that there are more intimate relationships, as in John 10, when we see Jesus as the good shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And the shepherd lays down his life literally in the sheepfold. That's a gate with an opening in the front, and the shepherd lies in front of it. With no gate that opens or closes, the shepherd becomes the gate so that if something wants to eat those sheep, it's got to go over or through him first. So there is some intimacy there. So the shepherd goes after the one, finds the one, puts him on his shoulders and brings him home. Now, one of my understandings about sheep, and you sheep people can let me know, I, I, this is accurate as far as I know. We know sheep are dumb and stinky. And the Bible continuously uh, likens them to us. I don't know what that means. But when one sheep gets separated from the rest, the sheep doesn't bleat out as if to ask and call for help. Why? Because it might draw predators. That one sound would signal a predator that this one is alone, I'm going in. So instead, what does the sheep do? It finds a spot to hide and waits. So much so that sheep become immobilized with fear. You know those goats? You walk up to them and you scream at them like, mm -hmm, and they tip over. To say the goat literally becomes immobilized in fear as a response to being alone, to being sought by predators, waiting for the shepherd to come rescue them, him, her. And so when we see all those depictions of Jesus with a lamb on his shoulders, it could be that that sheep might be injured. It could be that maybe it's a lamb and it's too young and it can't walk all the way back if it had veered far. But it's also very possible that that sheep is still immobilized with fear when the shepherd picks it up and puts it on his shoulders. Brings it back to the flock by which time it would have been reassured it recognized its shepherd and could rejoin the flock. Now, a couple things happen here. First, after the shepherd finds the sheep and brings it back, you and I might say, oh gosh, I don't want anybody to know that I lost one. I'm not saying a word. But this shepherd has a party, invites his friends and says, look, my sheep that was lost, I found him. I brought him back. Rejoice with me. Let's have a party. And then immediately in both stories, this happens. There'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous who are already saved, who have already 
been welcomed home. And that doesn't mean that those 99 righteous haven't been celebrated. Each one of them was celebrated as they came into the fold, as it were. But here's one more. This nature of God is so strong and so intimate that you, yes, you, matter to God. Every one of you matters to God. Because at one time or another, we are on that spectrum of being lost and being found. That's what sin does to us. We have an initial time where we come to Christ in some way. Maybe it's a conversion moment. Maybe it's realizing over the life, over the course of your life, that God has been with you, God's Spirit has been with you. And God rejoiced in that. So they had two parties, one when they found it, and then one in heaven over one sinner that repents and comes home. That's a good process. That's two parties. Let's go right to the coin. So you have a woman who has 10, loses one. If that's all she has, one-tenth of her income, that is significant. She loses it. Like Vicki said, she swept, she got her lamp, did everything that she could to find it, and she did. And what did she do? Did she hide it away? Not say anything to anybody because she don't want anybody to know she lost it in the first place. No, she calls her friends and says, rejoice with me. I found it. And then the same refrain is repeated about angels in heaven that rejoice over one repentant sinner. So we are in on that spectrum. God, uh, Jesus uses these two examples that are really economic in nature to show that to these people, the important thing in their life had been lost. What are the most important things in your life that you could not do without, that you do not even want to think about losing? It's your car, it's your house. Those are important things. My guess is it's people. On 9-11, we were reminded of what it was like to lose those that we love. Innocent. Died in such horrible and difficult fashion. We continue to see the stories of the families who lost loved ones. And as a country, we lost a piece of ourselves on that day. They were lost, but that wasn't the end. They were found. God loved them, each one of them, so much that God was with them in the rubble. God was with those first responders, those who ran toward the disaster and not away. God went for those lost. It is God's nature to seek the lost. Even those that we don't want to be found, God seeks them because God made them. And God seeks us as well. There's a story about the African-American poet Maya Angelou 
who when she went to San Francisco, she said she became sophisticated and in doing so became an agnostic, agnostic, meaning not fully believing in any one God or philosophy. And she was taking voice lessons from a coach and the coach made her read a religious pamphlet and the last three words were, God loves me. And so she read it, put it down. He said, read that last, those three, last three lines again, last three words. And she did sarcastically, God loves me, and put it down. He said, no, do it again. And she did it. He said, do it again. Seven times he made her repeat, God loves me. And on the last one, something happened to her. She actually believed somehow, somehow God worked through the defenses. God broke free and through to her. And she had a moment where she believed that God loved her. And with God's love, she could do wondrous things. She could do anything now that God loved her. God loves you in the same way. Say it with me seven times. Ready? God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Say it at home. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. If we believe that, friends, then everything changes. Those moments that we are lost, we know that we are not lost beyond, beyond being found. It is God's nature to seek the lost. And once we know that God loves us and we feel like we've become found for that moment, we are constantly lost and found again. It is our job to go and to help those others to know that God loves them as well. And to seek the lost is a part of our Christian call. Many times, the artwork, we see Christ with the lamb on his shoulders. Lots of depictions of this painting, sculptures, wood, carving, stained glass in churches. And tell me, in the next picture, is it similar or different? This is the picture on your bulletin cover. What is similar about it? Someone has been lost. Someone is in jeopardy just like that sheep. And are we not told that we are the hands and the feet of Christ until Christ comes again? Is this not a similar depiction of Christ bearing on his shoulders the lost? Except the hands of Christ now come through these first responders. I see it as the same. This is the way that we are called to live our Christian journey. This is Michael Judge, who was a Franciscan friar and a Catholic priest and a chaplain to New York City firefighters who ran into the North Tower where they had set up a command station. Remember, the South Tower fell first, and when it did, the shrapnel and all came through and wiped out that room, the, the lobby, and killed this chaplain. 
He was beloved. He was known for spending time on the margins just as Christ did, seeking the lost in his community at any cost, so much so that he has been put forth for canonization in the Roman Catholic Church. Father Michael Judge. He was technically the first victim of 9-11. Even though the planes had all gone down, he was the first body to go to the medical examiner, so he was recorded as victim 0001. But Christ was there and took him on his shoulders through these responders. Christ fills us with that same courage in the same way that Christ lifts us, us up on his shoulders to walk us through this life. So too are we called through the power of the Holy Spirit and the resurrected Christ to go into the world to help the lost. This is our calling. Let us be courageous and go and do so. Hallelujah. Amen.